Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast daily. It is Tuesday. It is a new year for college football. Berm and I are still out here in rainy Los Angeles where a new national champion was crowned or a reigning one, whatever. There's a national champion and everyone is moving on to 2023. Uh, the actual news back in Columbus was that Cade Stover went in an all caps, I am coming back, simple message. So Ohio State got one of those key decisions that we talked to on the podcast Monday that were looming out there for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and they also picked up uh, one that we weren't talking about because I'm not sure how he still has eligibility left, but it does seem like Xavier Johnson is coming back as well. So at this point, I mean, other than the decision you're waiting on uh, from Matthew Jones that we talked about, as you said, on Monday, like it looks like pretty much the entire Ohio State offense uh, outside of Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson and obviously C.J. Stroud, whenever he makes that announcement official this week, um, will be coming back. And that should be pretty scary for uh, college football and the Big Ten, but it should be also pretty darn encouraging for Kyle McCord uh, and Devin Brown as they look to the spring. And really, because they're going to get a great chance to put their full talent on display and, and, and show people what they can do with all of the, all these guys coming back. Yeah. what well, I think it's interesting with Cade Stover and that decision for what, how that impacts Ohio state at tight end specifically, we know how much Ryan day wants to use a tight end and maybe 25, 30% of the time to use two tight ends. And what we saw last year uh, with Mitch Rossi in that fullback role, I thought was encouraging at times, and I really like what Mitch Rossi brought. He's hard-nosed, you know, put his body on the line in the national in the Peach Bowl, trying to get Ohio State to the national championship game. But I think there'd be a little bit maybe different dynamic if you're talking about having Cade Stover back and pairing that with what looks like Joe Royer on the upswing there. Uh, I know that when Cade Stover is making this decision, you know, a lot of it is based on getting to the NFL, and, and generally that tends to lend itself to getting a lot more targets. I'm not sure, Berm, as we look at this and the, and the narrow decision just for Kate Stover, like it seems to me like he'd probably come back and get fewer targets next year and be more important as an inline blocker, which in a weird way would be more beneficial for uh, maybe his NFL draft stock. I don't know, but I think the partnership of those two, that they can both be involved in the passing game if needed. Uh, and Joe Reuter would have another year to improve his blocking alongside Cade. Sort of going back to one really effective year and that that Sugar Bowl outing with Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert. That maybe maybe that's what Ohio State can get back to next next season with Cade back. Yeah, and the thing is with Cade, as we talked about, like this was a decision based on legacy and draft status and getting healthy. So there's a lot of things that went into play here, but Ohio State was inviting and, and hosting uh, transfer prospects at tight end three weeks ago when they were fairly certain Cade was going to come back. So I think what this does is it sets up other movement probably in the room uh, and potentially other attrition. Now, I don't expect that to be Joe Royer, as you said, but when you're talking about a handful of young guys like Sam Hart and, and Bennett Christian uh, who are trying to get their playing time when when – Stover comes back, that might change some things down the road for those guys or G. Scott or whoever else is still trying to battle for that room. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State still makes a move at tight end and tries to bring in another guy, another complimentary piece. But they are certainly more your traditional tight ends than what Ohio State's done um, with Mitch Rossi in the last few years in that H-back role that he's sort of, uh, you know, that combination guy 
a fullback more than a, t- a tight end, really. But uh, to your first point, it's I don't know that this was the most targets for an Ohio State tight end in the last 50 years, but it probably was. It felt like it anyway. Um, so, yeah, you're not going to get the ball more next year. You're going to have an inexperienced quarterback. And Jack, that either goes one of two ways. The inexperienced guy doesn't throw to the outside uh, because he doesn't have the time and he just finds a security blanket, or he only throws to the outside because he doesn't like to throw over in the middle and, and into the, the, the mush. So um, it, it is an interesting decision for Stover on that point, but it is really good for Keenan Bailey in his first year as a full-time tight ends coach to have a guy that you know you can count on uh, and be the real leader of that room, which I think the, is the biggest impact of Stover's return. Yeah, and to be clear, Kate Silver is not begging for more touches. He's not begging to be more involved as a receiving threat unless that's just what the offense needs. And certainly that's been true for a lot of Ohio State tight ends before him. Uh, there was conversation in August about, and he and even through September, like, well, this he could be on track for 40 catches and 10 touchdowns. And uh, If Ohio State needed that, I think that Kate Stewart could, could absolutely do that. I don't think that necessarily that will be the case next year in that offense, especially with that group of wide receivers coming back, which now includes uh, a versatile X factor with the X man. I, I don't think I had spent five seconds thinking about the possibility that Xavier Johnson could be returning for another year at Ohio state. So even right now, I'm trying to think how that impacts the rooms moving forward because Ohio state has so many talented wide receivers coming back. They have an overflowing running back room. We saw what he provided in the Peach Bowl. Uh, big touchdown coming out of the backfield uh, on that catch over the middle. I, I don't – he's proven that he can be an asset. I'm having a hard time figuring out how that will exactly work for him. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it's a room that is completely full at wide receiver, and you lose – Nobody with the, I mean, the only guy you thought you were losing was Xavier Johnson. Now you have him back along with Marvin uh, Harrison, with Mecca Buka, with Julian Fleming. You have Jaden Ballard there. You have an entire four man class of 2022 that signed and nobody played this year. And then you have a four man class in, in 2023. Three of those guys arrived at Ohio State on Monday for their first day of classes. So that starts a lot of machinations in that room. And it's going to, I mean, Brian Hartline is the best in the country for a reason. And it certainly is going to find a way to get everyone involved that deserves to play. But um, for Ohio state, I think it's, it's a, just a reality that this is football and, and you're going to need to have a hundred different ways to score. I mean, you, I don't think Michigan's complaining about Blake Corum announcing that he's returning for another year. So certainly <laughs> Ohio state, certainly Ohio state shouldn't be complaining about or, or worried about having too many weapons, but there, there are always, other things that and other dominoes to fall. If you're talking about Michigan and Blake Corum coming back, how does that change Donovan Edwards' future, who had a monster, you know, final three games of the year for the Wolverines? I mean, these are all pieces you just have to move into moving in and around. And uh, I think the problem of having too many good players is not a problem. So uh, I, I, the interesting thing is just how important Xavier Johnson proved to be for Ohio State this year. And I mean, this is a kid who went from being a walk on to a scholarship player. And I think he actually has a, an NFL future. I'm, I'm surprised he's not taking that shot this year because I think he would actually have an opportunity to be in the NFL, um, you know, next year and contributing special teams and on offense and the way he is designed and the way he can do things uh, at, at running back or wide receiver or in the slot or 
um, in the return game. I mean, that's a really versatile piece. This may sound a little crazy, and it's and it's also speculation because I have not talked to Xavier about this, but I did talk to him before the Peach Bowl about his relationship with Marvin Harrison Jr. And you know, he's like, because Marvin had made a comment during the buildup uh, offensive media day in Atlanta, it's like, which young receiver has most caught your attention? And everybody assumes that that question is supposed to be about you know the freshman. And it was actually about one of the oldest guys in the room. He said, Xavier Johnson, man, he is really having a great bowl prep. His practices have been awesome. We know that uh, he and Xavier are always on the Monarch working out together. And I thought it was really interesting, the attention that, that Marv paid to him. And then I asked, I had a conversation with Xavier about that on the full team media day. And he's like, he just couldn't stop smiling. He's like, I mean, just imagine, like, my favorite player said that I was his favorite player. Like, their relationship is really tight. And I wonder how much of this, the, the their tight knit bond and the work ethic from Marvin rubbing off on Xavier. If, you know, it's a reverse mentorship in terms of age, but uh, the fact that they are working together, that everyone knows the ceiling for Marvin Harrison Jr. Like maybe Xavier's thinking, what, what would one more year of working with my friend, my teammate and Brian Hartline, what could that mean? Again, I still have a hard time saying how high in the pecking order is that going to be? Uh, for Xavier, but there's really his his story tells you that you can't rule him out having an impact. And we saw, especially after that Michigan State little sample where he was running plays, we thought they were going to be designed for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Those were some of the most innovative, <clears throat> awesome offensive plays that Ohio State used all year, uh, and they they came back to really pay off against Georgia. Uh, so there's a role for him. I don't know how expansive it'll be, but I, I, it's kind of. I'm calling it the Marvin Harrison Jr. effect a little bit. Maybe that's not fair, but uh, I do think that there's something about those two rubbing off that that kept Ohio State in the picture for one more year, which, again, is somehow available to him. Well, I mean, it's the, the old adage, when your best players are your hardest workers, you generally have a pretty great team and, and a program that people want to emulate and, and not leave. And Marvin is the hardest worker on the Ohio State football team, and we saw it, as you said, all year. The only guy who was there every single time with Marvin on that Monarch machine was Avery Johnson. And for a kid that's just learning how to really play wide receiver, which looks like it will be his NFL future and his NFL position, uh, you know, that's a guy that came into Ohio State playing defensive back when he, when he got there and then moved to running back. And then now, like, if you can learn from Marvin for a year and you can take that opportunity to keep picking parts of his game and saying, hey, how do you do this? How do you do this? That's a pretty great uh, – you know, combination of a player and, but just work ethic that Ohio state, again, when you have eight freshmen slash true freshmen wide receivers, you're going to need guys that are, are examples. And, and there's no better one on the team than what uh, Xavier Johnson's done. So uh, it's a win for Ohio state, whatever way you look at it, having him back is a, is a big bonus um, that again, we weren't even talking about because it didn't even cross my mind that he could have another year. I don't know how many years of eligibility you're allowed now, but, if he's, you know, clearly got one. So as many as you want, um, you, you alluded to uh, the new class and the early enrollees getting on campus. What exactly is that number that if you have at Berm and uh, who needs to make the most of it once they get going here and winter workouts? Yeah. I mean, there were 11 of the 20 guys that uh, were signed in December are on campus now. And um, I think the biggest thing is really for, for the offensive linemen, you have all four, uh, Luke Montgomery, Austin Saraville, Josh Padilla, and Miles Walker getting the opportunity to figure out really quickly how how you fit in in a room that's going to need some 
some guys to step up. And so they're, they're, they're sort of where the main focus is for me. Um, obviously, you're looking at the wide receivers and expecting that star power. But Brandon Innes, who's probably the, the most likely choice to play a lot uh, as a true freshman, if he does get that opportunity, if anyone does, would probably be Innes. Um, he's not on campus. He's the one of the four receivers that's not enrolled until June. So the, the offensive line is where it has to be. And, and Justin Fry is still looking to maybe complement and supplement that class. But with Jarrett Kingston, the offensive tackle from Washington State, who made an official visit to Ohio State last week. He spent the weekend uh, out here in California at USC. We'll see if, if Ohio State has the ability to, to pull off a, a, an upset there because Kingston's from California, and I think everyone assumes that he's going to end up at USC. But um, certainly if you look at the Ohio State opportunity in the depth chart, like why would a guy not at least truly consider it knowing that they're going to have an opportunity to step right in and be a starting offensive tackle at Ohio State? So uh, those guys are, are certainly on the clock more than anybody else. And you corrected me the other day. So only Jermaine Matthews, a cornerback, is on campus, right? Yeah, I mean, there was some discussion about Calvin Simpson Hunt, who had a really remarkable um, All-American Combine game down there in San Antonio. He was a captain named, you know, one of those guys that everyone across the country was writing about as the the, the top player at, at defensive back at the camp and, and at the uh, practices all week. So it, it's one of these kids that uh, just really loves other sports and wants to run track and the decision came down to staying for his final season of running track at Wak. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce Wakahatchee. You know how you're from. You lived in Texas. I'm sure you know. Um, but you can make up your own interpretation of how that is pronounced. I don't care. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they wanted him on campus early, but you know, it's it's hard to turn down the opportunity to be a kid for six more months when you when you have it in front of you. Yep. So uh, college football season for 2022 is a wrap uh, roster management moves already going on for Ohio state to get ready for 2023. And a little bit of clarity of that with a couple uh, big time moves as Kate Stover and Xavier Johnson, both make their intentions clear to return to the Buckeyes still they're waiting on a couple more. That deadline is fast approaching and Berm and I will continue to break that down every day on the podcast daily. We're heading back to uh, Columbus and we're back to the great state of Ohio for me back near the great state of Ohio for yeah. And we will, womp, womp. yeah, uh, we'll have all of our coverage ramping back up as we normally do, uh, getting ready as Ohio State shapes the future here and the rest of the college football world now looking ahead to next season with the national championship game complete. For Berm, I am Austin. Thank you so much for joining us on the latest podcast daily. We will see you tomorrow.